0: was with you this evening, turn to Exodus chapter 35, Exodus chapter 35, as we work to finish this book, about four or five more chapters left, and they will be done with the book of Exodus, and we'll go into the book of Joshua, I started to, as I mentioned the last time I preached on this chapter, I was starting to skip this, and I said, no, I'm going to continue on, because I think it's very important that we look at these things and focus on what God had for his people, his own people, the Jewish people, in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 35 and verse 30. Exodus chapter 35 and verse 30 this evening. And we'll go to chapter 36 and verse 7 tonight. So Exodus chapter 35, starting in verse 30. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Beziel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And it filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom and understanding, and knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. Wow, what a description. And to devise curious works to work in gold and silver and in brass and the cutting of stones, to set them in the carving of wood, to make a manner of cutting work, and to put in the heart in his heart <coughs> that he may teach both he and Elohim Alola, Aholab, the son of Ahishmach, the tribe of Dan. them hath he filled with the wisdom of his heart to work all the manner of work to the engraver of the cunning workman and the embroider in blue and in purple and in scarlet fine linen and the weaver even of, of them that do any work and of those that, had de- that devise cunning work. Chapter 36, verse 1, Then brought Beziah and Aholab, and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all the Lord had commanded. And Moses called Baziel and Aholab, and every wise-hearted man whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. and. They received of Moses and all the offering which the children of Israel had brought forth the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it with all. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men brought all the work of the sanctuary and every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to the Proclamation throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary so the people were restrained from bringing for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your precious word. Help us to understand it. I pray, dear Holy Spirit of God, that each person who is here, Lord, that that you would help them to understand exactly what you have for them. This evening, guide us through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Help us to know you better. And from thy word, understand you better. Your character, your nature, your love, your compassion, your will for you, your people as it is for your people. Even then, unto today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we're focusing on the craftsmen and the contributions for the tabernacle. We'll begin to talk about God desire a place to dwell a temporary place for dwell it would go with them as they would go through this wind wandering through the wilderness it would go and they would travel with it they would they would take it down, they would bring it up as I've said to you a couple of occasions when I was in uh, Israel I got to see a real live demonstration of the tabernacle in all its dimensions and all the different colors uh, inside the holy place inside the holy, holy place they even had a statue of a of a um, uh, uh, high priest. Uh, he was just a statue, wasn't a real person. Didn't talk, but he did have an ephod. And he had the clothing of what they would wear. So it was very interesting. Even had it made out of the same type of wood, which is a kea wood, which they actually had a kea tree, which grows there in Israel. So it was very interesting to see that. And it was put together by the group of uh, messianic Jews, Christians, who loved the Lord and wanted to give other Christians who naturally tour the land an understanding of what the tabernacle was and a little bit of a history of God's people so this is a time where this tabernacle uh, was built and God used very wise uh, men uh, to, to build this uh, tabernacle and it was of course a blessing to the people because it represented God's presence to them now naturally we don't have God's temple so much as day. As I said in this morning's message, the temple which the Holy Spirit dwells in is us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He no longer dwells in a temporary housing. He no longer dwells in a building. He he dwells inside us. That's why we represent him. May I ask the question tonight, how well do you represent the God as you have the Holy Spirit in us? That's why it's so important that everything we do, whether we eat... Even how we eat, even the simple thing how we eat should matter to God. How we drink, just picking up a cup of water, how we drink should matter to God. How we act in public. When people see us to some degree, they should see someone who represents to some degree Christianity, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That shouldn't be just the physical appearance. That should be our attitude. So when you go out and the waiter makes a mistake and you start to say some four-letter words, be careful. I've actually gone to that place right down the road called Sonny's, and they've said to me, The worst, the worst group of people that come in here are Christians. And I said, God forbid. They don't tip. You mean to say Christians are cheap? Not that I didn't know that already as a pastor. But that's sad. They say stuff they shouldn't say. They act in ways they should not. And that's why we're called sheep. That's why we hear that that song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Your actions, dear friend, even in a restaurant matter. Your actions your attitude speak they will not read our Bible but they will look at your life and say does it have anything to do with Christianity and tell you what tell you what it's difficult for me as a chaplain to say well Christ really is a whole lot different when I when there's so many representatives of us who don't act like Christ oh dear friends well how you act in a restaurant matters how you we're, we're getting ready to go into the busiest season of, 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 it, of, of all the seasons. Where you, you're going to go down there at, at 4 o'clock in the morning and get in those lines to get that $50 gift card. And then cuss the person out who gets right in front of you. Christians! Yeah, Christians. Christians. How do we act? How do we act? How do we live? Well, it matters how we live. So as we look at these people, we see these folks who had a calling on their life. A calling on their life. First of all, the calling of the craftsman. Look there in chapter 35, in verse 30. Lord hath called by name Bezilel, the, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. These principles, really, that we see here, are really good for all of us. And, of course, the Old Testament was written for our example. So first of all, this calling of the craftsman was a divine call. It's, it's God who does the calling. It's God who does the calling. Whatever you are doing in life as your occupation, I hope and pray that you know it's God's will that you're doing exactly what you're doing. You're not just doing it by whim. You're not just licking your finger, sticking in the air, and saying, well, I think that works. That you know. As you get up every morning that the, you're doing and you are in the very center of God's will. Dear friend, if I didn't know 110% this is exactly where I'm supposed to be, doing exactly what I was supposed to be, supposed to be doing, I would have quit this a long time ago. There's no use doing anything outside of God's will. You are the most miserable creature outside of God's will. Think about Jonah. He was called to go to Nineveh. Where'd he go? The exact opposite way. Because of that, he was miserable. His circumstances were horrible. And he got to the point that he was kicked off the boat and got swallowed by a big fish, a whale. That's what happens when you're out of God's will. It's bad, it's sad, and it it only goes worse. These people were called of God. Isaiah was called of God and as Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 the Bible says in the year that King Uzziah died I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple so it was a national tragedy the king had died he had been a ruler for many years and now the king is dead of course Uzziah being a prophet was was near the king knew the king so this affected him deeply and this time God showed him a a a holy vision and in that vision he saw the Lord high and lifted up it says in verse 2 above it the seraphim each one of them had six wings and twain he did cover his face twain he did cover his feet twain he did fly so we see this angels with six wings Verse 3, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So we see, first of all, his vision of the Lord. And whenever we go through a difficulty, the first thing to do is get your eyes back on God. The temptation is to get your eyes on yourself and in your troubles and on your woes. That's what the world does. Problem comes. What do they do? Start drinking, start smoking, start doing dope, thinking about killing themselves. That's, the world's, that's, that's, the world wants, that's what the world wants to do. But dear friend, that's exactly opposite of what you should do. And when you go through the deepest woes and troubles in life, get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on God. In this terrible time when the king had died, he looked and saw the Lord. But secondly, look at verse. To read verse four, Isaiah chapter six and verse four, and the uh, and the priests of the door moved with the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with the smoke. Then sighed I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one flew of the seraphims unto me, having a living coal in his hand, which had taken with the tongues from the, from the altar, and he, and he laid upon my mouth. And he said, Lo, this hath touched my lips, and my iniquity taken away, and, and my sin is purged. Secondly, not only did he see the Lord, he saw his condition. He saw his sinful self. He saw where he was. He had been a preacher up to this point. He'd been a prophet up to this point. But even in this condition, he recognized his own sin and and was willing to admit it. You know, the number one problem that Christians have in America today is willing to admit their sin. What we struggle with the most is willing to be honest about our own problems. You know what we want to do? We won't blame everybody else's problems. The reason why my team lost the game last week, all because of refs. Ah, it's because you know the color uniform they wore. Ah, it's because you know the the, the wind, the the conditions. Ah, it's because that. No, the reason why they lost is because of them. The reason why you struggle in life is not because of the government. It's not because of the atmosphere, global warming. You know all that. Oh, it's not because of your boss, not because of your mother, not because of your father, not because of your aunts and uncles. The reason why you struggle is you. Dear friend, the worst enemy you have in this world is not the devil. It's the person you look in the mirror and see every day. Our biggest problem is us. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So Isaiah saw the Lord. Then he saw himself. And thirdly, he saw the need of the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, go, here am I, send me. So he got to the place where saying, I need to help other people. But only as he false saw the Lord. Do you ask God to reveal himself, to show you himself as you read his word? Lord, lead me, guide me, show me, lead me, help me to know your way. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Help me as I read your word to understand it. And then secondly, not just understand it, but to obey it. And as we do that, we get a sense of ourselves because this book is just like a mirror. As we read it, it shows us ourselves. That's why on a regular basis, we need to take a bath. No, not just jumping in the shower and getting some some soap, I mean a spiritual bath. We confess our sins. Personally to God, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. And second, to other people, if I can confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Two types of confession, both personally to God and publicly to other. Why publicly? Because, dear, unless, you're, unless you have someone helping you in the Christian life, you probably will fail. I'll say it again. Unless you have someone in your life helping you, encouraging you in the Christian life, you will probably fail. See, dear friend, church is not about one person. It's a building, and it's represented by a body. Imagine if I if if opened the door this evening to let folks in the church, and all I saw was a hand coming through the door. Well, I'd shake that hand, but I'd be wanting to know where's the rest of it at. Where's the legs? Where's the head? It can't, it's not going to say a whole lot to me. Maybe give me a good grip, but that's all it was. Thank God for the hands of this church. Thank God for the feet in this church. Thank God for the heads of this church. Thank God for every part, but each of us are important. So we see this calling, and each one of us are called by God to do something invaluable. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and we know all things work together for good. Now, a lot of people stop right there. Oh, Lord, we know everything works, works together for good. Everything works for the good. No, for only certain people. Who? To them that love God. People who say they're Christians but don't obey God's word, it only not good for them. <laughs> hey, now let me ask you a question. When you disobeyed your mom and dad, how did it, it go for you? Uh, not good. When I, when I drove my dad's Jeep, one night to go see my girlfriend and he didn't know about it and I came home it being wrecked let me tell you when he came home it wasn't good I was outside of God's grace and dad let me know real quick that's the last time you'll ever get in that Jeep ever again the rest of your life and it pretty much was you step out of God's will, friend. Don't say, well, you know, I'm a Christian now. I can just pray and everything will be okay. No, dear friend. God loves you so much that if you're a believer in Christ and you step out of his will, he, like any father, will give you a good old spiritual weapon. And you know what? We all deserve it. Every loving father, every good father disciplines his children. Why? Because he doesn't like them? No, because he loves them. And if you don't discipline your kids, moms, and dads, it shows to the God and to the world that you don't love them. You don't love them. You say you do with your words, but it's, it takes hard work. It takes being willing for saying no to little Johnny and little Sally, even if they don't like it. If you have to take away their little toy that they love so much that they'll worship that more than obey you, that you say, hey, I'm going to take this away for a little time. Well, sometimes it's good. Sometimes God does that to us. But it says, "All thing, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. You see, it, all things don't work to good for just everybody. No, no, no. Actually, a lot of things happen bad for folks but for them who love God and are called according to his purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see this calling, brethren, how that many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So not everybody is called. God calls the humble. God calls those willing to respond. So it's not only a divine call. Secondly, it's a distinct call. It says to devise curious. That means clever or ornate or artistic works. So God has called us, Not it's just not from him. He has a specific call for each one of us. Do you know God's call for your life? Do you know God's call for your life? The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was giving in Christ Jesus before the world began. So even before the world began, God had a purpose for your life. Success is finding God's will for your life and doing it. For Philippians chapter one verse six, being confident, very thing that he with begun a work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ." Oh, that's encouraging. I tell you how many times when I was studying in Bible college, I would read this verse and say, "Oh Lord, I know you called me. You called me at the Wilds Christian camp many years ago, but I need you to finish this. I need you to complete this. I know I'm long, along the path, but I want you to finish it. I want you to complete it, and God wants to complete it in us. So, first of all, we see the calling of the craftsman, but secondly, the capability of the craftsman in verses 31 through 35. When God calls us, he didn't just call us and say, well, go out there, I've called you to do it, and go out there and do it on your own. No, friend, where God calls, God enables. Where God calls, he enables. He will give you the capability to do what he's called you to do. It's an Adequate capability. He had filled them with the Spirit of God and wisdom. Now this is the first time in the entire scriptures where we find the phrase, the Spirit of God. God actually placed in this man the Spirit of God to do the work that God had had him to do. How does God provide for us? He gives us the ability, the gifts to do it. If he's called you to sing, he gives you the gifts of singing. If he's called you to work with your hands, he's given you the ability to do that with your hands. If he's given you the ability to speak, he gives you the ability to do that with your mouth. If he's given you the ability to use your mind, he gives that through his spirit, that talent, that ability to do so. And you see that throughout the Old, throughout the old Testament and the New Testament. Think about Joseph. That young 17-year-old was betrayed by his brothers, but he was ultimately Put in an opportunity where he could interpret dreams. Did he have the, just the innate, natural ability to interpret dreams for the Pharaoh? No. Who gave him that ability? God. Did Moses, who said so many times, oh, I can't speak. I, I can't talk. You know who actually talked before God? They thought it was going to be Aaron. It was Moses. God gave Moses the ability to speak before Pharaoh and ultimately deliver his people as we read. Peter, old Peter who always put his foot in his mouth, he'd always say things when he shouldn't have said it. Ultimately, after Jesus went back to heaven and the ascension, he was the leader of the church. How did that happen? Because God had placed in him at the moment of salvation the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God enabled him to do the work that God wanted him to do. So it was an adequate capability but an appropriate capability to do the work and gold, and silver, and brass, and cutting the stones to set them and the carving of wood to make any manner of cunning work. God gives us specifically the ability to feel the calling that he has on our lives. So, dear friend, let me say to you, any success you've had in your life, and any job that you've had in your life, it wasn't you. It was God. It was God who gave you the ability to speak. It was God who gave you the ability to think. It was God who gave you the ability to move. It was God who gave you the ability to to motivate, to administrate, to help, to encourage, to do all that you do and what you are doing now and the callings you have, whether it be to teach or design or to work or to help, remember it's God. That's why on a daily basis, you ought to lift your voice up and to praise God. Thank you for working with my hands. Thank you for my mind. Lord, thank you for my feet. Thank you for my voice. One stroke, you don't do anymore, the rest of your life. One aneurysm that breaks, you're not doing it the rest of your life. We're one heartbeat from stopping this forever in this life. It's all God. All that we have and all that we can't have. So first, we see his calling of the craftsman. Second, the capability of the craftsman. But third, the companion companion of the craftsman. It says in verse 34, "Aloab, the son of Amishach, the tribe of Dan. Beziel wasn't just doing it on his own. Thankfully, God himself allowed a helper to come along to encourage her. Oh, friend, how how good it is, how wonderful it is to have us have a Barnabas alongside a Paul. How, it is, how wonderful it is to have people come alongside us and to encourage us and to help us. I have people come to me on a regular basis and say, oh, I don't have any friends. And I, the, way what the Bible says, if you want to have friends, you have to show yourself friendly. Do you show yourself half friendly? You see, I encourage you to come early to church. I encourage you to stay late at church as long as you can. Fellowship with one another. Church is more than just coming down and sitting down and singing a few songs. And tithing, 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 and then and, then, and then sing another song, and then get and listen. Oh, that's part of it, but part of church is getting to know one another. Do you know everybody's name in this room? Say said, preacher, I don't know everybody's name. this new. Why don't you? You could. See how do you do it? Grab your directory. Write down every every person's name in here and even people who's not in that directory and pray for them every day. And within a month, you'll know every person's name. You should know everybody's name. You should know what they work. You should know something about them. Dear friend, you're going to be in heaven with these folks for all eternity. You should know something about these folks. You should pray for them to encourage them. You should encourage them. You say, preacher, isn't that responsibility? Yeah, that's my responsibility, but it isn't just my responsibility. It's our responsibility. As I talked about this morning, the importance for not just me to be a minister, but for us to minister to one another. You know which, how you can minister? Not Any person you haven't seen come in church in the last couple of weeks, if I was you, and I do it myself through text, through calls, I would text them, hey, I have not seen, seen you in a while. You know what, that phone call, that text, that message, that card might be just what it takes to encourage them to come back. Some people get out there and get discouraged. Yeah, they get in this old world, and they have this idea, and sometimes we give it to them, that we just don't care. How about text somebody this week? You say, when am I going to do that? Tomorrow! Tomorrow! (laughs) Text somebody tomorrow. Call somebody tomorrow. Message somebody tomorrow. Get in touch with somebody tomorrow that you haven't seen. How do I I know who's not here? Directory. Read through that. Look at the faces of people that are are not, and see who's not here. Call them, text them, encourage them. We need one another. It would be a wonderful thing to do. When it comes to the idea of art, the Puritan Samuel Mather said, All the arts are nothing less than the beams and rays of wisdom of the first being. In the creatures shining and reflecting thence upon the glass of man's understanding. And as from him they came, so to him they tend. This is true. Where, is, where did Eziel, who had this craftsmanship, this ability, what was he, how, did he, how did he get that gift? He got it from God. He got it from God. It was a wonderful thing. And it glorified God. One man by the name of Hans Ruckmacher, said Christianity is about the renewal of life therefore it is also about the renewal of art this is how art can be shown in its validity through Christianity it's an expression of Christian understanding itself a fruit of the Spirit of God including the emotions the feeling the sense of beauty that is bound up with it for as Christians to show what is meant by life in hum- in humanity to express what it means for them to have been made new in Christ in every aspect of being when I see a beautiful piece of art it, it, it makes me think of God when I hear a beautiful piece of music. It makes me think of God when I'm out in nature and I see the woods and the trees, the woods, the trees, the, the, the leaves, and all that's in the woods. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. It makes me think about God. How wonderful, how blessed we are to have so many things around us that make us think about God. So we, in chapter 35 and going to chapter 36, we've seen the craftsmen of the tabernacle. But secondly, this evening, the contributions for the tabernacle. The contributions for the tabernacle. First of all, the servants who did the work. Again, it goes back to Beziel and the whole lab. Every wise-hearted man, verse 1. These servants of the work and the skill for the work in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all the manner of work for the service of the sanctuary. I can't tell you how I'm thankful for everybody who knows what they're doing in this church. I'm thankful for those who know how to take care of things, those who know how to clean things, for those how to work in different areas. Again, all every part makes up the body of of Christ to do do the things that is needed for this congregation. We see the servants for the work, the skill for the work, but the summons of the work. Verse 2, Moses called Baziel and Haliob. And every wise-hearted man unto the work to do it. So we see a second time this call that Moses himself directed towards the people. God gives each of us abilities to do something for Him, singing or acting or working with our hands. You some people have come to me and said, "Preacher, I can't do much, but I can do I can pray." Dear friend, that's a wonderful thing to do. It's a wonderful opportunity. Each one of us can do can do something. If you are alive, you can do something for God. What do you notice in these these verses? You know what I noticed as I read these words? The four-letter word, work. Work, for most folks today, has become a, a dirty word. But God designed Adam himself to work. In my book that I just finished about Less five lessons that we can learn through team sports. I wrote in the introduction of it, something that I had seen on, on I think it was CBS, that was brought out a horrifying fact that said, and I mentioned this before, over seven million men today from the ages of 23 to 56 are no longer in the workforce and are not even trying to get a job. It's the worst statistic in the history of the United States of America oh dear friend that's a horrible thing men are designed to work men have to work it gives them purpose in life it gives them a sense of accomplishments they get up they do things they finish it to work men I hope I know most of you men and thank God for the fact that you work that you that you work hard that you do with all your might that's God's design for us some people have the ability to work with their hands some have the ability to work with your mind some have the work with your feet or with your mouth or whatever whatever it is use that talent and ability for the Lord this Christian author by the name of Francis Schaefer again talked about the importance of our art and doing things for him. He said the Christian and his art have a place for the minor theme because man is lost and abnormal, and the Christian has his own defeatedness. There's not only victor and song in my life but the Christian and his art don't end there. He goes into the major theme because he is optimistic, has an optimistic answer. This is important for the kind of art Christians are so to produce. First of all, Christian art needs to recognize the minor theme the defeated aspects of even the Christian life. And there are times in the Christian life when we are defeated. You go through the book of Psalms and you'll find laments. You'll You'll see Psalms of sorrow because part of our life, because we live in a world that is wicked and full of woes, is sorrowful. You have friends and relatives because of their choices to sin. And you grieve for them. You're saddened for them because you know they have so much more potential than than what they're actually producing. It grieves your heart. It grieves my heart when I have friends and relatives that I know that could do so much more for God, but they've chosen to reject God. It grieves us. It should grieve us. It should burden us. It should cause us to be sad. So the Christian not only focuses on the major things, but the minor things. If our Christian art only emphasized the major theme, then it's not fully Christian, but simply romantic art. On the other hand, it is possible for a Christian to so major on the minor theme, emphasizing the loss of man, the abnormality of the universe, that he is equally unbiblical. So you can't just focus on the woes. You can't just focus on the heartache. You can't just focus on the sorrow. You have to, have, you have to sing victory in Jesus. You have to sing Rock of Ages. You have to sing the wonderful hymns because they lift us up past what we can understand. There may be exceptions. The Christian artist feels it is his calling only to picture the negative, but in general for the Christian, the major theme is to be dominant, though it must exist in in relationship to the minor. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. But dear little friend, we live in a fallen world only for a time, in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, we will be out of this fallen world. And we'll be in the heavenlies. And as we sang that wonderful song in our choir this morning, people will be happy over there. Oh, how wonderful be. The contributions for the tabernacle. We see in verse 3 the receiving of the contributions. They received, the Bible says in verse 3 of Moses, all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary. The craftsmen received the abundance of supplies that was given for the building of the tabernacle. They were not to build anything else but the tabernacle with supplies. So often when God puts supplies in abundance, we use it for our own destruction when we can use it for the Lord. We see, secondly, the reporting of the contribution they spake unto Moses, verse 5 and five, and then 7, saying the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work. Moses must not have been Baptist because he said, stop. <laughs> he said, stop. It's a very unusual situation. It's certainly abnormal when the, when the leader says to the congregation, hey, you don't need to bring any more. Why? Because there was such a case of abundance. The things that they had taken Of course, from the Egyptians in Egypt, when they left that wicked land, they brought with them. And instead of hoarding them for themselves, and hoarding is such a horrible thing in and of itself. That's a sermon by itself, and I won't go into it 10 minutes till 7. Instead of hoarding their supplies to themselves, instead of that, they used their, their things that they brought with them to help the ministry of God. To help the ministry of God. the consequence of their abundance the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it what they gave God used it and took it and blessed it and used it to build the tabernacle and that's what God does with the church he takes the talents of this person the abilities of that person the gifts of that this person the, the the willingness of that person and he brings it all together to make the body of Christ function Thirdly, the restraining of the contributions. Moses gave commandment and caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people restrained from bringing. They stopped giving. They stopped giving. Oh, dear friend, may we be willing first to give of ourselves. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 But this I say, he who sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. This is a very important principle of life. What you sow is what you reap. It's written in the constitution of God's universe. If you sow into righteousness, dear friend, you will reap righteousness. If you sow wickedness, you will reap wickedness. It's just the truth. They sold the righteousness. They gave first of themselves, every man according to his purpose in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency, all things may abound to every good work. I truly believe God blesses the giver. God blesses the giver, but not just the person who gives monetarily. The person who first gives out of a heart of love and devotion for God. Why are those people over there who are on that board? Over there, are they going over there, whether it be Okinawa, whether it be India, whether it be Indonesia, whether it be Africa or South America or some children's home? Are they going there to get financially blessed? <laughs> no, my dear friend. They're going there because God has called them to go there. God has given upon their life a holy calling. And they're willing, out of a giving heart, to do whatever God wants them to do. They're willing to say, yes, Lord, take me, use me for thy honor and for thy glory. One of the first American missionaries, if not the first, there's some debate on that, was named, named, a man named Adoniram Judson. I mentioned his name several times. He was commissioned to go overseas. And soon after he was commissioned, he met the love of his life, named one of them, named Anne Hasseltine, and soon made a proposal of marriage. Before, of course, he married her in those days, and, and I hope and still in this day, he asked for his father-in-law's, future father-in-law's uh, permission to marry his daughter. And he wrote a letter. I'll just read you a part of it. But it's incredible what Adoniram writes to Ann Hasseltine, Hasseltine's father. He says, I ask now, I have to now ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress to degradation, to insult, to persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left all his heavenly home and died for her? and for you for the sake of perishing immortal souls for the sake of Zion and the glory of God can you consent to all this and hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall be redound which shall redound to their Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair wow what a letter imagine men receiving that letter and being asked to give your daughter and never see her again. And he consented. Actually, he said, let her make the decision. And she did. And then House of Time suffered much on her trip to India and Judson now lost her first child on the way there and buried it at sea. They would lose several other children before ultimately she would contract a serious illness and die at a very young age. You said it was a waste of life, oh no, dear friend. He is no fool, he is no fool, oh dear friend. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. One of these days I might get to travel way up that old hill to see people like Judson, people like Spurgeon people like these missionaries here who've given their very lives oh how what, what wonderful sacrifice they've given why did it all start? It started from the heart it all started because they responded to God's call in their life what is God asking you to do? What is he wanting you to do? How can you be that minister this week to people who are perishing around you, to the needs that you see all around you, to the difficulties and the problems of the world? What can you do to make a difference in this life? You say, well, I'm no craftsman. No. Maybe you can talk. Maybe you can just give a gator track. To the person you're seeing, you're waiting in a line at Starbucks or at Wendy, Wendy's or at Walmart or at Target. You say, that's not a whole lot. Well, dear friend, all I can tell you if they open that tract and they read this tract, questions, but are you ready for eternity? And read these four points. Realize that you're a sinner. Realize that there's penalty for your sin. Realize Jesus paid for your penalty. Repent of your sin and receive Jesus as your Savior. And they pray that prayer. They will be in heaven Forever, and all the angels in heaven will rejoice for eternity. You say, preacher, it's simple as that. It's simple as that. God blesses obedience, and it starts with a giving heart. How's your heart? How's your heart? Is it a heart willing to give back because God has done so much for you? Oh, Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your love and kindness. How you blessed us. And this week, Lord, as we go through this week, in whatever situation, whatever circumstance we may find ourselves, Lord, help us to be willing to give back. Maybe with a smile, a kind word, some type of extending ourselves beyond the ability that we think we can even do those things because the Spirit of God indwells us and strengthens us and gives us the ability to do that. Help us to minister to other people. Oh, I wonder this evening, what does God want you to do this week? He's given you the gifts. He's given you the capability. He's given you the ability to see, to hear, to think, to smell, to know, to grasp, to understand. With those abilities, with those talents that he's given you, what will you do with them? Will you waste those abilities knowing and realizing that this could be the last week that you live in this life, the last day? Will you squander them or you take the opportunity as God calls you to do whatever he asks you to do this week? Oh, Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your blessings and thank you for your word that admonishes us, that encourages us, that helps us. If you're here tonight and you don't know Christ is your Savior, dear friend, I pray and beg you. Before the service is over, before you walk out that door, come see me, Brother Travis, my wife, if you're a lady, so we can show you how to be saved. But if you're a Christian, ask yourself, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do this week? What does God want me to do this week? Let's stand to our feet as the music plays. What's God will for your life? What's God want you to do this week? What do you need to do for him? What's he calling you to do? What is he asking you to do? If he's calling you to do it, he will give you the strength. He'll give you the ability. He'll give you the gifts to do it. Are you willing? Are you willing? Maybe he's not asking you to go over to India. Maybe just cross the street. Maybe to show kindness to a neighbor. Maybe to forgive someone who's hurt you. Maybe to show love for someone who needs love. Whatever he's asking you to do, would you do it? Would you be willing? The altar's open this evening. Maybe you need to come and say, Lord, by the grace of God, you've asked me to do something, and I'm going to do it. The altar's open. Fulfill all his will this week, fulfill it all.